Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the World Soccer Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Farley, here today with Kartik Krishnayer talking about the midweek action in the Premier League, the 28th round of action where seemingly nobody at the top of the table wanted to win Kartik, and it turned out to be good news for Leicester, the only of the top four teams to even scrape a point in this round of action. Yeah, and they were the only team that played well of the top four. And, and Very little true. Bit unfor- really unfortunate they got hit on a counter, although they score goals on counters all the time. Uh, by Rondon for that one goal, and then uh, Gardner on the set piece. But they were very, very good, Leicester. And I'm unlucky not to uh, not to score three or four goals in that game. Thought, my goodness, they they left the door open. The door is ajar. Uh, they left two points on the table. And guess what? Now, relative to the rest of the league, the teams that are chasing them, it's a great point. Yeah, it looked terrible on Tuesday because they ended up drawing 2-2 at home against West Brom. Which West Brom's been scoring some goals lately, but I don't think you and I are sold on them as an actual threat to the good teams in the league. And Leicester had 23 shots in this game. They had 64% of the ball. Uh, they had twice the number of shots on target. And if you start going into advanced ma- metrics, they had one of their best matches of the year in terms of expected goals. But a great pass from Darren Fletcher to set up that Rondon goal. I mean, we can talk about that later. And then uh, a free kick that maybe highlighted some of the goalkeeping struggles in movie week. That seemed to be a big theme. But, Kartik, let's start with... <laughs> Uh, the team that we always end up talking about. This is probably the surprise result of the round because Swansea, one of the four or five worst teams in the league thus far this year, goes to the Emirates, gives up an early goal to Joel Campbell. 75 minutes later, they're leaving North London with a 2-1 victory. Yeah, and, and just kind of comical defending from uh, from Arsenal in this game. The thing, the thing that is so noticeable to me, and, and, and again, I mean, I don't want to get into Arsenal fans because I, we took so much abuse for our show after Arsenal beat Leicester. Yes, they did win that game, but of course, uh, Leicester were bossing the game, and it wasn't just uh, our view. I, I watched ESPN FC the next day, and uh, basically Craig Burley and Alejandro Moreno were, were saying the same thing. Look, uh, <laughs> Leicester wasn't it, – it, it seemed like there was only going to be one result, and it was a Leicester win for three points before the um, the Simpsons sending off. Uh, he, he, at that point, Conte was bossing the game. And it just looked very, very bad. But Arsenal seemed, Arsenal fans and supporters were rejuvenated by that result, right? Richard, they were talking about, oh, mm. we're, 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 we're going to win the title now. Uh, now we've gotten straightened out. We're going to go on a run. Since then, they've uh, drawn with Hull City uh, in the capital in, in the uh, FA Cup uh, mm-hmm. championship team. They're going to have to go to a replay. Uh, uh, been beaten 2-0 at home by... Uh, by Barcelona. Probably their best performance in the last five games, and they lost 2-0 at home. Right, right, because again, I mean, they were being beat by Leicester, and I I thought maybe it was just you and I being excessively negative on Arsenal, but then I watched that ESPN program the next day. As I said, Burley was saying the same thing. Conte was bossing the game. They were never going to score that game. It was fans reasonably seeing a silver lining, but still. Right, so uh, then they lose to Barcelona. Uh, They then uh, perform uh, just embarrassingly against a Manchester United team uh, fielding a bunch of kids. And then uh, this performance today, there's no leadership in this team. There's no drive in this team. They, um, 
They're just not a title-winning team. They just don't have that look. They don't have that belief. They don't have that spirit. It's the same thing we say about Arsenal every season, and it's again lacking this year in the weakest of Premier League seasons, and it's just appalling. There's still 10 rounds to turn it around, so I don't want to close the book on them yet, but I agree with everything that you're saying, and I think you and I have been pretty consistent about this, but there's still time to make this into a bit of a fairy tale, even if right now they're kind of playing to type. Two things from this game strike stand out to me about the Swansea goals. The second one... You can kind of see Petr Cech cower a little bit as he starts going into that maelstrom at the edge of the six-yard box. A really good ball by Gilfie Sigurdsson uh, on the restart there. And you you can understand Cech kind of based on his history of head injuries, not really wanting to go in there full force. Uh, as a result, he ends up cowering a little bit from that ball and uh, Ashley Williams ended up putting it in. But the first goal really reminded me of when Jamie Vardy won that penalty kick at the Emirates where Arsenal seemed to stop playing when they thought there should have been a foul. And everybody just assumed that the whistle would come. And instead, quick transition, Swansea, two or th- uh, two passes. And then Wayne Routledge just beating Peter Cech. It's, I don't know if it's a mentality thing, Kartik, or what, but it did seem like once something didn't go Arsenal's way, at least in that moment, the team kind of turned off and pretty much created a created an opportunity for Swansea. Yeah, and again, there's this inability to deal with adversity. There's this inability to deal with things going wrong. That I think, is now, yeah, I, I think it's it's the whole Arsene Wenger philosophy, and everything that you and I talk about comes down to Arsene Wenger. Really, it's the idea that if we do everything right then things are going to go our way and we're going to win. But that's just not how sports work. Sometimes things don't go your way. And you have to have in your mind and in your tactics and in your belief that you have a way to overcome things that go against you. And when you stop, whenever there's a whistle that doesn't get blown and you let the play go on or it takes you that split second to get back in the moment, that's where that philosophy really comes to hurt you. And we've seen it multiple times during these last two months for Arsenal. They haven't been that good in 2016, as you pointed out the last time we were together on this show. And this result just continues that pattern. Yeah, and they're nowhere near the kind of team that their supporters think they are. They're nowhere near that kind of side that people would really believe they would be, given the fact that Chelsea is having a down season, Liverpool is having a down season, Manchester United and Manchester City are having down seasons. Should have been wide open. They should have been running away with this thing. Instead, we're seeing questionable performances from their top players. Look, Mesut Ozil has been terrible the last few games, quite frankly. And Alexis Sanchez just hasn't looked right since he's come back from injury. Uh, I'm not quite sure uh, what Theo Walcott's providing at this point. Giroud is missing chances he he used to bury. I I think Danny Welbeck has infused a little bit into that team. I I like what I've seen from him. Mm. Uh, I thought when he came on against Barcelona, he looked bright. Uh, Obviously, Leicester, he he got the winner. He also uh, played well, I I felt, against Manchester United. But uh, other than that, I I just – Ramsey to be – uh, not playing well. Uh, he, he's playing in the middle now, which is where he wants to play, but he's not playing as well as, as he was playing out on the right. So uh, that's uh, that's another issue. And then uh, at the back, they're, they're coming up sixes and sevens. And now Petr Cech is injured. Uh, mm. He will miss the Spurs game. I've, I've gotten that uh, uh, that news. Wow. So he he yes he he's out for uh, Saturday's game. Might be out longer. And he got injured when he was trying to track back. Uh, because uh, Botafemi Gomez ha- had the ball and was going to put a shot on goal. This mm. is when he came up to uh, for that final corner. So uh, it- it's not looking good. No. Uh, that having been said, if they beat Spurs, they tend to do, and they beat them earlier in the season at White Hart Lane in, uh, in the League Cup, 
Um, they're they're the team that could challenge Leicester. Although again, I'm I'm, I'm becoming more and more confident that Leicester is going to win this title. Although I still think Spurs. We'll see. I mean, if Spurs beat Arsenal in the derby, they get a full three points. Maybe they're the title favorites, regardless of what Leicester does at the weekend. But uh, if if uh, they lose or uh, Arsenal, if they draw or Arsenal wins, I think it's Leicester's title. It just seems like there are so many turns still to come over these last 10 rounds of the season. One team that appears to be somewhat dropping, dropping out, time is just not on their side at this point, even though Manchester City does have a match in hand. But they're now 10 points behind Leicester. And I think what's more worrisome, Kartik, losing 3 nothing to Liverpool on Wednesday, this is a team that has no depth, and so their lack of legs maybe showed a bit at yep. Liverpool. And their back line, Nicolas Otamendi is just terrible. I mean, yeah. he he, he was awful. prominently involved in at least two of these goals against Liverpool, prominently being the typical Nicholas Otamendi things. He's either losing one-on-one battles in open field, which wasn't the problem today, or taking himself out of position, which was terribly the problem today. Either way, he had a huge hand in this result, and I don't think these problems are going away anytime soon, Kartik. I don't think City is suddenly going to have a deeper team until... De Bruyne comes back in three or four weeks, and even then, who knows if they're going to be in the title race at that time. And I don't think they have a solution for Nicolas Otamendi. No, they don't. And I, I think what's uh, surprising about this is that Mangala, since he's gotten fit, hasn't placed Otamendi in the uh, lineup. Yeah, he wasn't I mean, even I, in the team today. Right, yeah. He wasn't even on the bench. And uh, Otamendi has this issue of, of lunging into tackles, uh, overcommitting. Uh, being overly aggressive, and, and he's just, just positioning is just terrible, yeah. uh, for lack of a better term. I think uh, we're seeing the uh, the effect of the injury to De Bruyne and to Nasri. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nasri is a creative player who, uh, look, I mean, Nasri doesn't give the ball away very much. It, it, he's very difficult to get the ball off of, and uh, for all of his other flaws as a player and as a person. I mean, he's not a, he's not the best guy to have in the dressing room, which has been an issue since he came to Manchester. He was an issue at Arsenal, of course, also, but... Uh, David Silva gives the ball away constantly. He hasn't played well at all in the last. Uh, I've jeez, I don't know when the last time Silva strung together more than one good game in a row was. I mean, maybe he's just there's nothing left in the tank. These guys did lay it on the line on Sunday though in the Cup final, and I think uh, uh, particularly uh, guys like uh, Aguero and, mm-hmm. and Silva. Uh, there was nothing left. Torre uh, had a very good. Torre had two very good games in a row, which is rare for him. Yeah, uh, the Dinamo Kiev game and then this. Uh, uh, League Cup final, and so he's injured at his age. He's almost 33. And for all those people who say, well, why is Manuel Pellegrini continue to play? Yeah, yeah, told he's lazy. He's all this. We've already had that conversation with Lawrence on a previous show about how ridiculous the, uh, those uh, critics are. Well, you saw what happens when he's not in the t- Completely overrun in midfield. They didn't, Manchester City didn't have a central mid- mm-hmm. It was an open gate. It was an open invitation. And... Uh, Liverpool took it. And I, I have to say, though, just quickly on Liverpool, I thought Lalana, Firmino, Origi, and Milner were all very good. Origi is a guy, he doesn't score goals, and I've always wondered what the fascination was with him, considering he didn't score goals uh, at Lille, he didn't score goals, for, he hasn't scored goals for Belgium. But when you watch his work off the ball, he's really good. He had a really good game today. Yeah, he's kind of a Belgian Welbeck in that regard because he's he's athletic, he's versatile as far as his positioning can go. You can play him as a nine. He also has the work rate to play in other places. He's just not going to score the goals that you would expect him to. Right, which is what Fergie always said about Welbeck. Was He would say, hey, in games where I need to take defending and positioning seriously, I'm going to play him, even in some cases, I think it was against Real Madrid, ahead of Rooney because – 
it's it's that sort of quality in a player in a big game you need. So I think Origi is a keeper for Klopp. I think he's going to be around next in, even though there's going to be a massive clear out of other players. Uh, I like what I see. And I continue to be higher on Adam Lallana than Liverpool fans do. I thought Lallana had a good day, although the goal he scored today, it just continued the pattern throughout this match today. And I'll probably bring up an example in every game we talk about. Joe Hart should have had that. That is not a hard shot. That is a well-placed shot, but it, what, bounces 72,000 times on the way to goal. Uh, either way, that was yeah. kind of a pattern this week, because now as we go to Tottenham-West Ham, one nothing result at Upton Park. Uh, Tottenham, if they had won this game, would be t- would be in first place right now, but instead a seventh-minute header off a corner from Mikhail Antonio is the only score. And this sparked a, kind of an old debate, Karchik, and I want to know what you think about it, because... Tottenham, Mauricio Pochettino doesn't play with defenders on the posts on corner kicks. And on this one, it seemed to bite him in the butt because short corner, Mikel Antonio's beyond the near post, heads it back between the probably arm and a half length, arm and a half at low, most. It was more like an arm's length between Loris and the near post because Loris actually got his hand on it and it still went in. For me, I just think Loris wasn't aggressive enough in his positioning and he should have stopped that. To me, this is another goalkeeping error that we had during this midweek round. Right, and they train without players on the post. And let me explain why Pochettino doesn't play players on the post because I know it's very easy to say, oh my gosh, you always have to play the post. Mm-mm. Pochettino's contention is that there, on set pieces, there will always be guys that are free, that are unmarked if you're playing guys on either post, mm-hmm. field players. So, and you look at Spurs' defensive record, and you look at Southampton's defensive record the year he was there, uh, you can't argue with it. They don't give up many goals on set pieces. He hasn't yeah. given up... Uh, uh, goals on set pieces at all. Except for today, unfortunately. I think right. it was Lloris Zera. The other thing you do if you have two players on the post is that you keep players onside when your goalkeeper comes off the line. So if your goalkeeper goes into goes into battle there, tries to punch a ball and misses, you're keeping the other team entirely onside by having two players on the post. So even if you want to argue that one player should be on a post, that's far different than having two. And it just, to me, is just... It's just too conservative and leaves too much open, uh, restricts your goalkeeper too much when you have two players on the post. Regardless, Tottenham still may have been the better team in this one. Because of the way the matches were over these last two days, I haven't been able to see all these games. I do know that Tottenham had the better scoring options. Option uh, chances in this game, Kartik. They had 1.4 expected goals. West Ham had 0.7. A lot of that could be the result of West Ham just scoring early. As a, re- but um, from another point of view, this is the sixth place team in the league. West Ham winning one nothing at home. We've seen them perform very well against the top of the league. I'm not sure that this result is that telling about Spurs. No, I don't think it is. And honestly, West Ham they just defended so well without the ball. I mean, this is the difference between them and, and Arsenal. I, mean, I hate to keep picking on Arsenal, but I have to. But when West Ham isn't in possession, they're very organized. They're very strong. They're very structured. They look very good. Now, and, and I've noticed this all season. I mean, when they get leads in games, these game, the, all these matches they've won away from home, they've gotten leads in games, right? All, all the games against the big teams yeah. that we talk about them winning, and they've defended really well. Arsenal, without the ball, they're, they're a mess. I, I, and again, maybe Ramsey should be playing on the right. I know he wants to play in the middle. Maybe he should be playing on the right. Maybe Cochlin uh, well, is not fully fit. Maybe uh, El Nenny was a bad buy. I mean, I, I don't know. The thing is, uh, every, everything is not working well at Arsenal. I mean, everything is working poorly, I should say. I shouldn't say everything isn't working well. There isn't anything working well, it yeah. seems. Even today's goal for them, the Joel Campbell goal, was a, a great individual effort. Yeah, and they weren't creating great goal-scoring opportunities. Fabianski had a good game against his former team, but... Uh, there weren't uh, any 
remarkable saves he had to make. Just like we talked about the Lester Schmeichel wasn't tested before the sending off. Right. I mean, so it's just it's a continuing pattern with them. And and part of it is whether you embrace defensive responsibilities and how you defend without the ball. And West Ham, to me, has been one of the better teams in the league, uh, maybe the best team in the league at doing that. Hmm. Yeah, so that it does kind of hint at what we might be seeing come uh, come Saturday in the North London Derby. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but as you're hinting, if you're looking for kind of uh, hints from the tea leaves based on this result, it might not be a good one for one comparison. West Ham, as you're hinting at, has been better about holding out these holding out these leads than Arsenal has. Uh, let's go to the top of the table. We talked about this match a little bit. Leicester City 2-2 against West Brom coming off of their weekend performance against Norwich. I think it's tempting to say that maybe Leicester is having more trouble getting results against the bottom of the table than some had anticipated. We talked a little bit about that struggle on this show on various episodes. On the other hand, as you talked about, Kartik, I don't know what else Leicester City could have done here except be better defensively in those two moments, those two moments that ended up getting the baggies a point here. Yeah, obviously, Ojoa probably should have scored at the death and been the hero for the second straight match. Uh, he just didn't make enough contact with the ball. That was going to be a goal uh, the, 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 at the very death, unlike uh, against Norwich, where he scored uh, with a couple minutes of stoppage time to go. So there's, um, I, I think what we're seeing from Leicester, though, is that when they have the ball and they pile on pressure, they're not able to create the those one-on-one matchups we talk about so often with them. And uh, at times in this game, they did. Mares, uh got space. He, he uh, created both goals, both of the goals that they actually did score. He created, but Vardy's not getting into space as much. You're not seeing uh, as much uh, uh, of Albrighton in space. And then, of course, they didn't have Conte. So with Conte injured right now, I think, okay, they might end up losing these games because he's been that influential. Instead... Uh, Andy King uh, slots in. He's yeah, not King's been quite... great. I mean, not great, yeah. but he's been very good. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, he's not Conte, but he's been very good. Mm-hmm. So they have depth. I mean, we're seeing guys like uh, Ajoa now contribute when, when they need to. Uh, a guy like Demarai Gray coming off the bench and, and uh, helping to create some of those late chances for them. So they have more depth than we thought. Ranieri yeah. was comfortable with his first 11 and kept going with them because they kept winning. But now that they're getting some injuries and fixture congestions and, and – some other issues we're seeing. Uh, oh, and Schlupp has played the last. Yeah, they removed some Jeremy well. Schlupp. Yeah, so they've got um, they, they've got more depth than we thought, and uh, I just again, I mean, I I in their performances, they look like a good team, even mm-hmm. when they're not winning, even when even when they didn't win against Arsenal, I thought they were the better team until the sending off. Even uh, uh, this game, I thought they looked very good. I have not seen Leicester City play poorly. In a long, long, long time. We see Arsenal and Manchester City play poorly every other game, if not more than that. Mm. And then uh, 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 Spurs. That's a good point. Yeah, Yeah, Spurs at times don't look look great. They look lethargic at times, but Mm. I wouldn't say they play poorly. Yeah. So, again, I think it's a two-team race. Unless Arsenal uh, puts down a marker at White Hart Lane on Saturday and says they're in this, plants a flag, a two-team race. I think this match at the King Power Stadium on Tuesday just comes down to the two moments uh, that the Baggies scored goals. Darren Fletcher 
That ball that he rolled for Solomon Rondon was just perfectly weighted so that Christian Fuchs didn't know if he should come in from left back to claim it. Peter Schmeichel didn't know if he should come off his line to pick it up. Robert Huth was waiting for either of those two things to happen. So Solomon Rondon was able to get goal side of him, push him away, get the ball underneath Schmeichel. Uh, Huth should have done better, but I just think it was such a perfect pass by Darren Fletcher. Not so hard that Schmeichel came on, not so far wide that Christian Fuchs claimed it. It really forced a lot of indecision in that defense. I also don't think he has the time to make that pass if N'Golo Conte is playing in the game. And then on the second goal, we saw this in another game too, I'll point it out, but Gardner's free kick, well-placed, just not a lot of power there, and Peter Schmeichel takes one instinctive step to his left when the ball is striked, and if he doesn't do that, he maybe has a chance to actually get over to what wasn't a very powerfully kicked ball. So I think a lot of things converged in this game to get West Brom a result, and I completely agree with you. Leicester City still played well, and I would look for them to be a threat to take advantage of their easy schedule moving forward. Kartik, before we wrap up talking about the top of the table, we kind of have to include a new team in this discussion because now two teams are tied for 47 point with 47 points for fourth place granted Manchester City has a match in hand but Manchester United won nothing victory over Watford it wasn't that impressive but with the victory they're now tied for fourth remarkably who would have thunk it but this is just such a bad season in the Premier League uh, is the door still open for the likes of Chelsea and Liverpool to catch. Uh, I mean, you, 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 we can laugh at that suggestion, but the way Arsenal and Manchester City are playing, both of those teams. I mean, Arsenal's on what fifty-one points. Yeah, so they probably don't get caught, but they might. Um, they certainly could get caught by West Ham or uh, or Man United. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they get caught by um, who by, knows? by a Chelsea or Liverpool, but who knows at this point? Yes. I, I think uh, the 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 poor quality of play in the in the Premier League. In, in domestic competitions, I should say, for Arsenal and Manchester City. The, the really good games that both those teams have played have been in Europe recently. Right. The, the poor play in domestic competitions, be it the FA Cup, obviously City tossed away the FA Cup, but still they got P5-1. And in uh, the League Cup where they had to go to penalties, even though they were the better team. Um, and the league, you have to think that if you're Manchester United, if you're Louis van Gaal, who's been ridiculed all season, if you're... Uh, uh, if you're Jurgen Klopp, uh, you might you might like your chances, and especially if you're um, Slavin Village, because West Ham just is lurking, right? We haven't really talked about them except in passing in this conversation for the top four. They're lurking. They're only a point out, uh, yep. out of the top four, and they're a team that has uh, had their they had their switch uh, coincide with Paisi, and they still kept touch with the top four during mm. that period. Now they're right there. So um, I don't know. I I think. Uh, there's a there's a pretty strong possibility that someone is going to catch either Manchester City or Arsenal the way things are going, and it very well might be West Ham and not Manchester United. Manchester United got their victory, an 83rd minute Juan Montagol. Another kind of placement over power free kick that maybe should have been stopped by Jorelio Gomez, but they hadn't really generated anything else during this match. This is, again, a match that I didn't get to watch. I'm only going based on the reporting from the game, but a lot of people seem a little bit concerned about Manchester United's performance before the goal. As is, like you were saying, the weakness of the Premier League this year, they're tied for fourth. West Ham is only one point back. Stoke, Stoke is five points back of a Champions League spot. Liverpool is six. Southampton is seven points back. And Chelsea is eight points back, which maybe would be insurmountable if they didn't have six teams to climb. As is, Chelsea is only eight points back of a Champions League spot. And they have been bad at soccer this year. That's how, that's how quote-unquote deep slash sarcasm the Premier League is this year. 
But let's go to the bottom of the table, Kartik, and start working our way up. Aston Villa, probably don't need to spend much time talking about them. They lose 3-1 at Villa Park to Everton. Instead, I want to talk about something with Everton here because... We're seeing that Stones is no longer starting for Everton. Funes Mori scored in the fifth minute. He's scoring a, he scored a number of goals since coming over from Argentina. What do you think Stones' value is going to be on the transfer market this summer, Kartik? I'm kind of thinking that he's played himself into a situation where Everton can't really afford to sell him. They have to try to rebuild his value next season. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that this is uh, why they took a chance trying to keep him. Excuse me. That's the Premier League website. <laughs> trying to trying to play Slavin Village's press conference for me. I was trying to get a transcript of it, and it's actually the the actual presser. So apologies for that. Uh, no, but uh, I think they were trying to get stones for either making a push at the top four this season, which now looks like they really kind of tossed it away, right? Because they should they should be right in this mix, considering how yeah. bad uh, the uh, the how bad Arsenal. They've got the fifth City best goal difference in the league. It's just those late. Uh, capitulations where they're just losing points, draws, one-point losses. Doesn't really take a big bite out of their goal difference, but it means that they're not getting the points that their performance maybe should. Right, but the, the point being that they, uh, I think they also had a, knew that they had interested investors and they wanted to keep the team strong and the team appeared to be strong. Now, that means also they don't need to take the money for mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think he's probably not going to be sold unless... Uh, I mean, the the, the, the 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 recent talk has been that Pep likes him and because he's more of a ball playing uh, center half, mm-hmm. and so Guardiola would like to bring him to Manchester City. Maybe City overpays for him, given. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure Pep has seen DVDs of Odomendi and thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm gonna have to replace this guy. Yeah. So it's possible he moves to Manchester City, but I don't think Chelsea's gonna come in for him at quite the same uh, price. And if it's not Manchester City, he might be there another year and have to rebuild his value. And Chelsea clearly needs to spend that money elsewhere. I think when we were talking about the Chelsea rumors this summer, we thought that their roster was a little bit more stacked than it is. As is, after a year of play, it looks like they have a lot of problem areas. Maybe Manchester City does make sense. We saw with Raheem Sterling, and we've seen this all throughout this era of Manchester City. Uh, they're willing to pay an English player premium. So maybe that would... Uh... Right, we saw it with Westcott. Everton cashed in on that. They didn't... Mm-hmm. Uh... David Moyes didn't like how that went down. But, Jack Rodwell? Uh, Rodwell, right? Yeah, they've done a lot of business where, and City has overpaid for. Uh, Manchester City has actually underpaid. This is the funny thing. There's this impression that Manchester City overpays for everyone. Uh, the, they've, they actually, if you look at market value, really underpaid for guys like uh, Silva and Torre mm. and probably paid the proper market value for uh, Aguero. It's really the English players. Uh, the, and, and even guys, some guys that were older. I mean, they paid $26 million for James Milner, which uh, I love James Milner, but come on. Um, they paid more for <laughs> Milner was more expensive than Silva or Torre, mm-hmm. by the way, in the same summer. Yeah. Uh, paid this uh, uh, huge fee for Raheem Sterling. You mentioned Rodwell. You mentioned like $11 million for uh, Adam Johnson. $11 million for Patrick Roberts. I bet people don't realize that one. He's out on loan at Celtic. Uh, they, they have been willing to pay for English players because – the academy hasn't pushed the way they had hoped. Now, Hinachio being the first guy to really kind of break in, maybe uh, that changes, but I, I could see them coming in for stones. What's your feeling on uh, Manchester United now because of injury, but also because of performance of some of their players? They're starting, they're not starting, but they're including seven, eight, nine 
academy players in their squad over the last week. Does that make you a little, I don't want to say jealous, but a little curious as a City fan to like, hmm, maybe this, maybe this gap between City and United that everybody's been talking about isn't as wide on the prospect level that we've been told. No, yeah, absolutely. It's making me think that that, that, that was nonsense. I mean, the, the basically the last three or four years, the premise has been the top tier players, young players out of the Manchester area or out of the Northwest in general. Um, although, uh, although there are some that go to Everton's Academy still, right? Because Everton has a, mm-hmm. a, a great academy. But uh, they're going to Manchester City and then the second tier are going to Manchester United but you look at the players that have now been bedded in at Manchester uh, United versus the guys that uh, you know you, you got a full display of Manchester City's uh, academy against uh, Chelsea in the FA Cup and saw how bad that was hmm. so uh, it, it makes you really scratch your head maybe uh, this was all hype in, in a lot uh, to a large extent. Uh, that having been said, Ihinaccio is the one guy that we can do it like consistently over a long period of time now. Uh, he, uh, although he didn't do very well today, he's generally starting in September, uh, August and September, uh, culminating now. He's generally been a game changer that comes off the bench. Uh, so he's not just one of these flash in the pans, but, uh, yeah, I am a little bit jealous of, of the guys at United. They haven't really produced a good player out of their academy since Danny Welbeck, so uh, it's about time, right? It's been five or six years. Yeah, I guess the closest in. thing, like the Manchester United analog right now, would be Jesse Lingard, who isn't performing. I don't think he's been as productive as Caliche Inacho, even though he's probably gotten some more playing time than yeah. Inacho has. But when you see Rashford with a four-goal week and you know his history of kind of being turned away by Manchester City because of his lack of physicality for his position. Yeah. Uh, it makes you wonder if Manchester City is getting the better prospects, but then they're just not doing a better job of grooming them into Premier League available players. And I wonder what happens with Pep, because I don't think Pep would turn a guy away um, mm. based on his physical size. Yeah. That's that's very interesting. It, it also makes you wonder about maybe the priorities. Uh, it, it, you know, how, how is he... Um, how is the philosophy at Manchester perhaps uh, uh, going to be different for Pep than uh, the thing he inherits? It's, it's going to be different than what he's uh, dealt with in the past because I, I think, quite frankly, if you if you think about this, uh, there has been a strong core, a strong belief in having an English core at the club, which is why uh, we talked just a minute ago about the English premium Manchester City pays for players. Uh, there was there had always been that belief, particularly under Roberto Mancini. He, there were a couple guys uh, that people can't can't believe. Uh, Sam Byram, who's gone to West Ham uh, now, uh, uh, Will Hughes, who's still at Derby County. There mm. were players that were essentially championship players that were English that Mancini wanted uh, mm. because he was trying to build this kind of philosophical English core with uh, uh, Brian Marwood and and uh, and. Uh, and Gary Cook, both of whom are English, running the club. So uh, that's changed in the Soriano uh, regime in Burgestan, uh and obviously uh, Pep coming in. But uh, you wonder, because I guess it was just a few years ago he was turned down, and that kind of fits uh, the narrative of what we've seen. They wanted English players. They wanted young English players that were physical, that were big. Uh, Byram fits that description. Hughes is a little smaller, but he's shifty. His size doesn't matter as much. Uh, he's a good technical player, uh, for, at least for the championship level. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, maybe Manchester United's academy is better than we think it is. It, it appears to be the case. One key point on this, though, Louis van Gaal deserves some credit, right? Maybe he's he's uh, tripped over and fallen into this, but he's bloodletted these kids. They're producing, and they you have not had a you have had very few guys come through. United's academy. I mean, I think maybe cleverly and Welbeck are the only ones in the last ten years that have been any good. Mm-hmm. And he's um, and maybe Fergie didn't give guys a chance shot. Um, 
look, I, I think that this this is something to be said for Louis Van Hall. Does that mean he's the job? Unlikely, but uh, stranger yeah. things have happened. I mean, he survived all of these. Oh, sacking is imminent. If he doesn't beat Stoke, he's gone. Well, they give up two goals to Stoke right away, and he's still in the job. Oh, if they don't beat this one, he's gone. Well, they didn't beat that team, and he wasn't gone. So it's just I I wonder if there's a, there's maybe a faith of letting him see out his contract, and then at that point you can let Giggs take over because he's had another season assistant. Think about that. Hmm. Well, Nicky Butts running the academy now. That's true. So, so I, I have two things on that. One. Regarding Louis Van Hall, if he's not gone at the end of the season, Manchester United fans should seriously start talking about whether the club has any means by which to evaluate its own internal personnel. And I'm saying that even if Manchester United goes on to claim fourth or third place, the team on the field is not meeting expectations. And having a weak league around you shouldn't be a reason to retain your coach when you want to be able to secure a top four place every season. You can't guarantee the league is going to be this week every year. In that regard, I think Louis Van Hal has failed, and if Manchester United doesn't replace him before the end of the next season, that probably indicates they have no process in place by evaluate, to evaluate him or to evaluate him against goals that they set ahead of time. So I think that that should be worrisome if Louis Van Hal gets a third year at Manchester United. Now, on the other hand of the coin, what you said about Louis Van Hal getting some credit for this, I completely agree with that. And I think that has a lot to do with his being so dogmatic about how he wants his team to play. If you have a style that is consistent, that you can implement that further down in your system that has similar tactics behind that style, it's going to be so much easier to, on the fly, integrate players. Now, if you have a possession-based style, you'll have a style that can protect those players from being exposed to other teams, or uh, you'll have a more regular, consistent way of how you are going to want to play the game. So I think those two things together make it much easier for Manchester United to integrate their players than almost any other team in the league right now. They're young players, at least. Whether that's actually producing wins or not, well, I think the I think the play on the field kind of speaks to that. But I do agree with you, Kartik, that Louis Van Hall deserves a lot of credit for implementing a system that means the number one player on the depth chart and the number 50 player on the depth chart can all contribute if needed. Let's switch our focus back to the relegation race, Kartik. We talked about Aston Villa a little bit. They're eight points back of what's now become a three-team jumble for 17th place, 17th being the last safe spot in the Premier League. Let's start with Sunderland. Sunderland should have risen above that jumble, Kartik. They had Crystal Palace at home. Crystal Palace has been showing some life lately, particularly Connor Wickham now back-to-back games with two goals. As is, Sunderland still... Needed a Fabio Barini goal late to salvage a draw in this one. Ultimately, Kartik, these are the type of things that prevent teams that are relegation bound from getting to those points totals that they highlight. Whether Allardyce has highlighted 36, 38, in almost any points goal that he would have had to set, he would have had to put a three by this fixture before it came. And he only got one. Yeah, very disappointing result. Um should point out, though, for our American listeners, DeAndre Yedlin had the assist on Barini's goal and played very well in this game. Mm-hmm. I watched a lot of this game, so uh, that's a good sign, at least from the U.S. perspective. But yeah, I think uh, Allardyce will not be happy with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, they, they, they got, uh, and obviously Connor Wickham is a former player of theirs, so it's, it makes it a little bit uh, awkward. But they, they just got torched a couple times, in reality, um, on the break, and also uh, just didn't defend well. Uh, basic defending. So th- those are things that Allardyce uh, won't be happy with. Uh, that having been said, look, I mean, the, the other teams at the bottom are are, are a mess. Mm, very true. Let's talk about some of those teams. Uh, Newcastle, they still have a match in hand. 
But after their loss today, they may be tied with Sunderland and Norwich for 17th, but they're in 19th place. Uh, one nothing loss at the Britannia, giving up a late goal to Zerdan Shakiri. From from all accounts, I didn't watch this game. From all accounts, this was a terrible game. And you look at the metrics on this, the te- these teams created almost no chances in this game. In fact, the goal that was scored, we have seen highlights of this. Zerdan Shakiri's left-footed shot from, it looked like about 24 yards out didn't exactly find the the uh, just inside the left post. Rob Elliott just seemed to be frozen as the ball went into the net like three or four meters from him. And I, I think that you have to put this result, this Newcastle loss, down to, to one guy who just elected not to react to a shot. Yeah. The, the other thing about it that's so funny is, though, that um, he made John Joe Shelby the captain today, McLaren. I mean, <laughs> he is just throwing things at the wall now. He's so frustrated and... I mean, who knows? I, I don't know what to say about the job McLaren's done because it's possible this team could be much worse under another manager. So mm-hmm. uh, they just seem like a team that's not fulfilling their potential, not meeting the uh, market value of most of their players. And I think that they're not going to uh, they're, they're looking like they're going to get relegated at this point. And I, I think we're down seriously to four teams for relegation. Right. Right. In, in reality. And Villa is down. So it's going to be. Two of uh, Sunderland, Newcastle, and Norwich, unless uh, somehow uh, Swansea or Bournemouth get sucked back into this. Uh, well, I can't see Bournemouth. Yeah. I mean, now Bournemouth has got getting their players fit. Max Gradle has come right in and done very well for them. Well, uh, plus after so today, I, those two teams are six points clear of the drop. Okay, right. I'm, well, at I, least I Bournemouth's, the, Bournemouth's actually eight points clear now. Yeah, I should I should have the table in front of me when we're doing this. But yeah, I can't see Bournemouth getting sucked in to this. And uh, Afobe has been... Look, I mean, a lot of people question Bournemouth right away, uh, January 1st, January 2nd, went out and got a phobe, uh, paid, uh, maybe they paid an English player premium, right? Uh, or, you know, a, a player that's coming from within uh, England premium uh, because they paid $12 million for him. I, I know I've talked to some Wolves fans who couldn't believe they got that kind of money for him. But uh, yeah. anyhow, knew what he was doing. I mean, that, that, that signing uh, took them from being in this fight to not being in this fight, yeah, that's quite a good frankly. Point. Yeah, they kind I mean, of one over, signing did it. They seem to overplay for Graven. Um, they have brought in Iturbe. He hasn't done very much, but they picked the right guy in a phobia because he now has was it four goals in eight games and, and a big one today, um, providing the insurance against Southampton. Although again, there was a goalkeeping problem there. Fraser Forrester probably should cut off that ball before it hits a phobie's head. Uh, just that's just the theme of the round for so me. So we're even so we're even talking about like these really good keepers. We're talking about Lloris. Hart and Forrester. Just a, These yeah. are three of the better keepers in the league, making mistakes. Yeah, and Peter Petrček too. Yeah, and Petrček, right? Yeah, it was just a bad day for goalkeepers. The last match we haven't talked about yet. Another bad day for a goalkeeper, John Ruddy. What was it, forty-one seconds in or something like that? I, I think I just made that number off the top of my head. Uh, Kennedy takes a left-footed shot from about twenty-three yards. It shouldn't be able to find the corner at the speed it was hit, or um, given how much time Ruddy had to line up that ball, and it ends up going in. Chelsea gets a one-goal lead. Adds to it through Diego Costa. Norch tries to come back late and actually had a really good chance to equalize late. But Kartik, another example here of Chelsea not really playing that well, still getting a result. They're up to 10th place now. Yeah, and they're uh, they're eight points out of a Champions League spot, as you I mentioned. I can't believe that. Yeah, it's it's really hard to believe. They've, they're getting these... Uh, they're gutting out these wins now. Uh, Heating has only lost once, right, as, as uh, since he took over, which was against uh, PSG in the in the first leg. So he hasn't lost in domestic competition at all. And uh, there's something clicking now. Again, I Goose Heating's getting a lot of credit, but I think they could have put anyone in that job. 
there was the players didn't want to play for Mourinho anymore. So Richard, you or I could have taken that job over. They'd probably be playing for us. Costa, uh, we've talked we talked about it repeatedly on the show his his fallout with Mourinho and his uh, change in attitude once Heating came in. I don't give Heating the credit for that. Maybe I should, but I, I just think they had to get rid of Mourinho, and if they got rid of him. Uh, when they should have gotten rid of him after they got beat by Southampton or uh, the Liverpool game at the very latest. That that was in October, that Liverpool game. That Southampton game was at the beginning of October, end of October, the Liverpool game. They persisted for another month with him after that, month and a half with him, and fell into into the re- relegation scrap. At the time when they, were, when they lost to Liverpool and they lost to uh, Southampton, it was just like, oh, well, they're not going to make the top four. Then it became, oh, my goodness, they're in a relegation fight. Had they sacked him at that point? I think they probably would be right back fourth or fifth, honestly. Maybe. I I think this is just Chelsea regressing to the mean. I think this explains why they haven't actually looked that good, but they're still climbing the table from what what they were like 15th or so place when Mourinho went. Now they're up to 10th. Their goal difference is better, but only a little bit. We watched them play. They've had some good performances, but in the best one, they still lose to PSG. Uh, Games like today... It just seems like they're going their way now, whereas at the beginning of the season they were drawing and losing these games. They're not playing appreciably better. I don't see anything particularly clever Heating has done except for start to make some tougher decisions regarding Hazard, who's playing a little bit better, but you know he's been sat on the bench a couple of times, making William more of the focal point, which he probably should have been all along based on how he's playing this year. I think Chelsea's just regressing to their mean. I think one thing that we have to reconsider, and we will consider this going into next season, is we thought Chelsea, their mean was a title-winning team this year. They were they were going to be first place. City would push them. We had different opinions about whether United or Arsenal would be there also. And in reality, and when you look at the squad now, go player for player, they're probably a borderline Europa League team talent-wise right now. Just so many of their players have regressed because of age or usage or what have you. If they go back out into the market... Pay two hundred million in fees this summer and restock four or five positions. I can see them fighting for fourth again. But the core of this team, Kartik, is just not as good as we thought it was before. And in that way, I think they're just kind of like finding their even watermark in the middle of the table. Yeah, that probably makes sense. I mean, they they, they have the look on paper of an eighth place team. They don't have the difference makers West Ham has. They're in sixth. Uh, who's in seven? Southampton. Yeah, I could see them finish. I, maybe they're the center. Oh, well, Everton has a better team than they do, and Everton yeah. uh, is about at the same point as they are in the table. So, yeah, they probably have about the eighth team. I buy that. So yeah. that's a borderline Europa League. I mean, even if you look at teams like Southampton, on this weekend show, we talked about the new depth that they have and a lot of different options. Maybe Koyman needs to adjust to that and play a little bit more aggressively going forward. Uh, you know, Manchester United, City, Arsenal, Spurs, Leicester, I think we can all see a world where they're ahead of them. But even Everton, I think, uh, as you hinted, and and I agree with you. I'd probably take Everton's squad at this point over Chelsea's squad. Everton just happens to be behind them in the table, which probably goes back to your uh, views on Roberto Martinez. Let's shift our focus, Kartik. Let's talk about the weekend ahead in the Premier League. Uh, there are a couple of very interesting relegation battles, six-pointers, if you will. Um, although, given the state of the table that we just talked about, maybe these aren't six-pointers anymore. Uh, Swansea is hosting Norwich during the main kickoff time on Saturday. Same time, Newcastle is hosting Bournemouth. We also have Sunderland visiting Southampton in that time slot also. Um, Aston Villa is visiting Manchester City, although I, I don't know if we need to keep talking about Aston Villa in this relegation picture. Uh, they're part of more the relegated picture. But let's talk about those other three games I mentioned. Sunderland visiting Southampton, Bournemouth visiting Newcastle, Norwich visiting Swansea. Where do you think one of those relocation teams might be able to make up some ground there? Norwich visiting Swansea on paper looks like it might be, but uh, given Swansea's performance today, it's hard to say. Uh, Sunderland have played well. 
uh, but had some of these mental lapses. I, I think they're always a threat to win. Mm-hmm. So uh, and get three points. As we saw them get three points at Old Trafford a couple of weeks ago. Another one of those games where if Louis Van Hall loses this, he'll be sacked. And of course, he didn't get sacked. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I think all three have a shot, but they're going to have to start getting points in games like the three you mentioned. Mm-hmm. If they're going to get out of this, because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. One, and it may not be this weekend, but it might be. One of those three teams is going to get a result that they're not supposed to get away from home, and then they're just going to pull away. And like we said, two of the three are going to get relegated in all likelihood. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty clear no one else is in this relegation fight. Uh, Crystal Palace, in theory, because of their form, could get sucked back in. But at some point, they're just they're going to win a game and, and be out of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think... It, it, any of the three could win this weekend, and, and that changes our thinking. We see it every year that these teams where the coaches are just throwing stuff at the wall at this point, hoping something sticks. For one of these teams, maybe two of these teams, something will stick. We've seen it with Leicester before. We've seen it with Sunderland before. We've seen it with Fulham before. We can just keep go back through the whole history of the Premier League and come up with probably 18 different clubs that have done it. For one of these three teams, something is going to stick, and they're going to be pulled out of this. The goal for all these teams is to be that team, to be the team that will win a game and then all of a sudden they're on a run. And all of these matches this weekend give Sunderland, Newcastle, Norwich a chance to do that. Just got to seize the day. Sunderland did it last year. Leicester did it last year. One of these teams has to do it. Let's go to the Europa League spots. Kartik, four matches that really affect this pitch, picture. West Brom hosting well, West Brom hosting Manchester United. Everton hosting West Ham. Chelsea versus Stoke, surprisingly, is a very important game in this picture. The battle between 7th and 10th place teams. And then Crystal Palace is hosting Liverpool. The Chelsea-Stoke one is the one that's just mind-blowing to me, Kartik. And nobody that has listened to this show this year is going to be surprised to hear me say this. These two teams aren't that good. They're they're pretty average teams, but they're 7th and they're 10th place, both with very viable chances to be in Europe, maybe make a push for Champions League. My mind is blown by this one, Kartik, that this match at this point of the season could be that important. I, I'm actually mind blown by you saying Stoke was in 7th, and you're saying that they're only a, point, a couple points out of 4th, because I didn't, I didn't realize that until you said it. Yeah. It just seems like they've hit a swoon, all this talk of sexy Stoke and... Uh, who uses revolution, Sparky changing, the playing style had gone away. Now it's back. Now everybody's going to start talking about it again. Uh, this game has draw written all over it, though, doesn't it? It seems like it, except for except for the fact that it's at Stamford Bridge. But we keep going back to this one thing we keep mentioning. Chelsea is not actually playing that well. No, they're not. I mean, they, they, got, they were fortunate in these last two games. They ended up winning both of them. But they were fortunate to win either one of them, quite frankly, the, the uh, Southampton game and the Norwich game. So... Uh, but they're getting results now, right, in games that they shouldn't be winning. I mean, you could argue earlier in the season they were playing a little better and uh, weren't getting results. Although I- I've been on the bandwagon, as you have, all year long that they're just not very good, right? Mm-hmm. When they were losing games, they were losing games because they're not as good as the other teams uh, or they didn't play as well on that particular day. Not uh, the-, the referees and all-, all the excuses that Chelsea fans and, and uh, would parrot that Jose Mourinho would make and then Chelsea fans would parrot. So uh, I don't know. I think um, I think it'll be quite interesting. Uh, this game, this 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 probably will be a one-one-two draw. That having been said, if Stoke does win this game at the Bridge, maybe it does catapult to maybe. a higher place. Yeah, possibly. I think it will be a big confidence builder. The one thing for me with Stoke, they have scored only thirty goals in twenty-eight games this year. They don't have much of an attack at all. The, the, defending, they've been really good. They've that includes about- that four-goal out- outburst against. Uh, uh, Everton, remember too. Yeah, they have with when you take away the goals that they've scored eleven against ten, they've scored fewer than a goal a game, even strength with the other team this year. 
So that's, that's again, just your reminder about Stoke Alona. But the flip side of that is that they've only conceded 33 times. If another team is going to let them score, they will. If another team's going to make mistakes, Stoke has the talent to take advantage of it. Maybe Chelsea's at a point right now where they're not making so many mistakes. Let's go to the teams at the top of the table. A couple of matches here that we're not going to dwell on too much. Watford versus Leicester could be a very good match given the way Watford can defend, but there's not really much unique analysis we can bring to that one. It's a dangerous match for Leicester. They should be slightly favored in that one. Manchester City is hosting Aston Villa. We know City is on dead legs. Maybe they rotate some players here. Aston Villa, the worst team in the league right now. City should expect to get three points. I'm glossing through those because there is an obvious big matchup. It's the first kickoff of the weekend. North London Derby. One of the most important North London Derby since the Premier League began. Tottenham Hotspur, second place, three points back of Leicester. Can really put almost a nail in Arsenal's title coffin because if they beat Arsenal, they will be six points up with nine matches remaining. Arsenal, six points back of Leicester right now, really needs to get a win in this one. Kartik, let's let's spend some extra time talking about this one. Uh, let's talk about this one based on kind of the premise that we've established over the last two or three weeks of shows. Tottenham just doesn't win this game very often. They They sometimes beat Arsenal, but it's in a situation where... Arsenal is a little ahead of them, and you have like a maybe a Gareth Bale breakout performance. But when the two teams are kind of on equal footing and the stakes are the same for both teams, it always seems like Arsenal finds a way to win this game. Except once, which was in uh, three seasons ago, four seasons ago, actually three years ago, 2013. Same same weekend, same uh, not same scenario, but they were both uh, fighting for fourth. Uh, Spurs cut them open. Two two great goals. Uh, one was Aaron Lennon. The other, I think, was Gareth Bale. And uh, they beat them two one at White Hart Lane. They then had a seven point lead over Arsenal after that game. Guess who finished fourth? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so it has happened before. But I think in this situation, when uh, Spurs are ahead of Arsenal in the table, uh, well, they were ahead that time too. But I, I think it, it just this this feels different, right? Ar- there was a vibe around Arsenal this time that. And, and, a, and a feel-good factor about Spurs that, I don't know, it, it, you know, I, I'm big on history, as, as you know, Richard, and all our listeners know, it just, just feels different. It just feels like a game Spurs will win, even though uh, we thought that they were getting over the hump and they lost in the League Cup to them. And we thought uh, there was a couple of years ago they played in the FA Cup, right? And mm-hmm. uh, that was a game Walcott got injured in. But uh, it was so exciting for Spurs to draw. Uh, to draw Arsenal in the third round of the FA Cup, and they just got r- r- ripped open. So I don't know. I mean, history would tell us that that this won't happen. But Arsenal have played poorly, uh, and but but there is there is another precedent for Arsenal winning this game, and I'll give you the precedent. Uh, remember the day Osama bin Laden got killed. Uh, Aaron Ramsey scored a goal. They beat Manchester United. Uh, Manchester United won the title, but that briefly brought Chelsea back into the title race uh, that season. That game was the only game in the final seven games of that season Arsenal won. Uh, mm-hmm. They were dropping points to everybody uh, other other than Manchester United. So sometimes in these situations, they raise their level. They beat the team that's uh, above them or, or comparable to them. And then they go back to dropping points to Swansea and the kinds of teams that they've been dropping points to this season. Mm-hmm. I think if there's one thing we should say for Arsenal, uh, other than the fact they clearly have the talent to beat almost anybody at any time, is that if there's one team that has their backs against the wall, if there's one team that's going to have a desperation factor on Saturday, it's going to be them. Uh, They really do need this one, not only as far as the table is concerned, but as far as 
just pride is concerned, Arsenal is not supposed to finish behind Tottenham. They're not supposed to be the second best team in this derby. If they lose this one with only nine matches remaining in the season after this, there is a incredibly high possibility that they will finish behind Tottenham as well as hand away their title chances in the process. So if there's any pride on the line, uh, Arsenal is certainly going to be more motivated by that. But given that fact that Based on what we've seen over the last three or four months, Tottenham probably looks like the favorite here. They are at home also. I think one way we can approach this is to go through the key points in the Arsenal team and ask how likely those players, those places on the pitch, are able to transcend this kind of gap that we're seeing between Spurs and Arsenal. Starting from the back, obviously not very good news that Petr Cech is going to be missing. We saw what he did against Barcelona. He kept Arsenal within two goals when that could have been a 4 or 5 nothing game. To me, losing Petr Cech is huge. Yeah, massive. And, and, a, and a big, big problem, I think, just in general for Arsenal in terms of their, uh, their, their ability to have confidence uh, at the back. Their defenders, uh, I think there's, a, there's an organization, there's a, there's a strong feeling of how good, the, uh, that there's a security blanket behind them and how well he organizes, what a job he does uh, organizing the back four in front of him. So... We will see how all this affects them with Ospina. I assume it'll be Ospina in between the pipes for this big derby. Maybe they'll just be so fired up for this derby that they'll get through this game. If Czech misses more games, though, it, it, it will be a factor at some point. Yeah. Will it be a factor against Spurs? Who knows? I, there's, there's been just, as you said, this was kind of a midweek of goalkeeper howl, howlers. So, and Czech had me, arguably one of them. So perhaps uh, it won't affect him. Moving up in Arsenal's formation, one thing that we started hearing out of Germany and a little bit out of Spain as Arsenal's made its way through Champions League this year and seen some of the results that they've had. Obviously, they had a good result against Bayern earlier this year, but were taken apart in Germany. And we've seen what they did against Barcelona is the idea that Arsene Wenger has created a pretty predictable team and that if you just pressure their defenders, their whole system kind of goes away. I don't think that bodes very well given how Mauricio Pochettino likes to play. I don't think it bodes very well considering one of the key players that can help augment that, help the central defenders or the defenders move the ball, Santi Casola, is still out. I think if that theory about Arsenal holds true, that if you just push up against them, they won't necessarily lose the ball, but you can take them out of the way that they like to play, I think that bodes very poorly at White Hart Lane on Saturday. Yeah, the Cathola miss is a huge miss, and they're really struggling without him. And as I said, Ramsey has slipped, uh, as I said earlier in the show, has slipped into that role playing centrally, and it just it, it isn't working for him recently. Although he has this this camaraderie with Ozil, but I think that's when he plays on the right, right? It pushes inside. Uh, we're not seeing it when he plays in kind of a deeper-lying, playmaking role. Yeah, it seems like more that camaraderie comes into play once Arsenal has established possession in the attacking third and that Ramsey can read and react to space and Ozil can react to Ramsey's runs and they can create some damage. But as far as actually transitioning through the middle third, I think that's where it becomes really problematic. Yeah, and the middle third is where Arsenal is losing possession and uh, opening themselves up to quick counterattacks uh, in that middle third and with being dispossessed in midfield. So I um, I don't know. I, Arsene Wenger probably knew Aaron Ramsey's best position and where he should be playing. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, he's had to play him out of position. I know Ramsey wants to play where he's playing right now, uh, but he's better on the right. So one person that can overcome all these disadvantages is Metsu Otsul. When he's good, Arsenal is good. It's become a truism this year. 
I don't know how much I like Metsuit Olsal to really stand out in this game. Because if nobody else from Arsenal is really posing a threat, we, we know Giroud is dangerous, but he needs help. Walcott is now being openly criticized by some prominent members of the uh, English media. Uh, Welbeck, we've talked about before, can score a goal, maybe isn't going to create a wealth of chances. Sanchez isn't back to his, his best yet. If Olsal has to be the guy then he's going to have to overcome Eric Dyer, who you and I would probably put in our best 11s of the year at this point. Um, maybe Musa Dembele is back. If not, the Spurs are still going to be playing with two deepish midfielders, or at least one sitter and one shuttler. They're going to be playing with numbers in midfield that can help mark out Olsel. I just think Metsud Olsel is going to need a lot of help in this one, and there don't appear to be a lot of players in the Arsenal team right now that are ready to step up. Yeah, there's nobody in the Arsenal team that's ready to step up, other than maybe Welbeck. Mm. I, I just I, I don't see when they're when they bring guys off the bench, they're they're not really inspired choices. Uh, look, uh, Joel Campbell was the one guy you could spell Oxlade Chamberlain with. Now Ox is injured. Yeah, it's just an El Nenny. They bought him. He hasn't worked out. I I don't know. I think I just the individual matchups favor Spurs again. I mean, like we said when they played Leicester. Now maybe there's a sending off and the trajectory of the game changes. But much like the game against Leicester, the individual matchups favor uh, the other team now, when, the, in this Arsenal game. The one fear you would have if you're a Spurs fan or if you're somebody that doesn't like Spurs, and the one moment, uh, one aspect of positivity you can take from this is, like we've said in the past, Spurs traditionally haven't gotten over this hump. They have on isolated occasions, but this hump has presented a challenge. But Kartik, I think back to the way that Spurs dismantled City in the game at White Hart Lane earlier this year. And I think about the way that Spurs handled the visit from Fiorentina, uh, a much uh, must-win game at home against lesser opposition, but you can kind of put those labels on this game too. It's a mu- kind of a must-win game at home against a team that they should be beating right now. The fact that Spurs won those games 4-1 and 3-0 Tell me that they do have a team that mentally can't get up for the occasion. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I mean, that's uh, that, that that is a, uh, a quite a way of uh, of thinking about it. But look, I mean, I just think that there is this. We talk about the spirit constantly in the Leicester City side, right? We've been talking mm-hmm. about them all season and the spirit and the 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 team aspect, the feel good aspect. I think that Spurs are just a step below that. Yeah, and, it feels that way when you watch them play, right? There's not that urgency or confidence in the team. Yeah, they they they, um, they are kind of at times very lethargic in the way they play, but they seem to get results, and they seem to there seem to be um, a situation where the egos have been checked at the door with, with these guys. Although, again, I mean they don't they don't have the Modric or the or the Van der Vaart or the, or the Bale high-profile player that they used to have. So uh, maybe maybe this is the right mix of players for Pochettino. But they don't they don't seem to have that that kind of urgency often when they're playing from behind or they're they're in uh, tight matches. Uh, that having been said, uh, they they continue to get results uh, except in this this West Ham game. So I I don't know. It just, it just feels different. Maybe it's I'm so down on Arsenal that <laughs> I'm uh, I'm thinking that this is uh, this is feeling different and that Spurs are going to get the job done. But you're right. There may not be any real evidence of that at the at because Spurs have when they in a position to make a statement this season uh, when they played Chelsea at home nil nil uh, still nil nil uh, when they w- went to Arsenal opportunity to make a statement they didn't they didn't make it they 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 drew there mm-hmm. uh, they lost to them in the League Cup uh, when they've had the opportunity uh, they did make a statement against Manchester City but it was a week after Leicester had made a bigger statement against Manchester City uh, they've uh, 
they they still haven't gotten that second game against Manchester United, but uh, maybe that they, they don't have that statement game yet. I mean, Leicester has a few of those, hmm. and uh, Spurs don't. So this should be it. Based on the history of this rivalry, you can probably look at Saturday's matchup any number of ways. But come Sunday, myself, Lawrence McKenna, and Nipun Chopra are going to be looking back on the result at White Hart Lane, as well as the other nine matches on the Premier League slate this weekend. But until then, for everybody at World Soccer Talk, I'm Richard Farley. Kartik, enjoy your football. The World Soccer Talk podcast is a production of World Soccer Talk and is executive produced by Christopher Harris and produced by Richard Farley. You can get the podcast a number of different ways, including Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Audioboom, or you can go to worldsoccertalk.com to download the show directly. To get in touch with one of the hosts, you can reach out to them on Twitter. I'm Richard Farley. Kartik is KKFLA737. Lawrence is L-O-Z-C-A-S-T, Lawscast. And Nipun is Nipun Chopra 7. Don't want to bother with Twitter? Go ahead and reach out via email. Richard at WorldSoccerTalk.com.